Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, real conversations with actionable insights into what consumers want and why. I'm your host, Andrew Davidson, based in New York. Mintel has just published its 2023 Global Outlook on Sustainability that tracks consumer attitudes towards sustainability across 16 countries. And in today's episode, I'm going to speak with the author of this research, Mintel's Richard Cope, to get his take on how consumer priorities have shifted in the past year and what brands need to do about it. Richard is an expert in macro trends and consumer behavior, specializing in sustainability. He describes himself as a futurologist and is an in-demand speaker and facilitator of workshops who has been a guest on this podcast many times. Welcome back, Richard. Hey, Andrew. Nice to be back. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Where does this podcast find you today? Uh, I'm in Winchester, southwest of London in the United Kingdom, and it's very sunny. Excellent. And how's the air quality? Uh, not bad compared to yours, probably. Um, I'm getting a reading of 16 <laughs> um, on my uh, IQ Air app at the moment. How about you? Excellent. Well, I might, yeah, mine's actually pretty good. I mean, I'm based in New York, and today our air quality is 23, so that's uh, that's good on the on the AQI. So I'm just going to ask that question because millions more people are now familiar with the air quality index due to the smoke uh, from the worst wildfires in Canada. Um, hitting New York recently, worst wildfires in in a century, and you might have seen. I'm sure you saw some of the images of New York engulfed in an eerie um, orange glow. Um, I, I mean, last year on the pod when we spoke, you you talked about how tangible weather events just like this had reset people's priorities when it comes to climate change. I mean, it seems that things have only gotten worse uh, since we last spoke. How would you sum up the year in sustainability? Um. Well, I'm going to be positive, but I'll get to that. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of bad news. You mentioned extreme weather events. I think there were over 400 uh, extreme weather events last year. We had coal usage going up. Uh, we had over 5 million excess deaths related to the threats of climate change. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of bad news. I think what that does, though, is it engages people. I mean, if we jump into, you know, the survey shows us that we now have a majority of the sample we talk to who think that their country is experiencing climate change. It's 51% of people think that. Um, and that's part of a greater process of engagement that comes from all this bad news. You know, the extreme weather events you talked about, the record price increases people are experiencing in food, um, the war in Ukraine affecting supply chains. All of that is engaging people with the issues a lot more. And, you know, even out of dire things like that there's good news you know there's positive things i learned when i looked at what happened in the year in sustainability so um for example we went past the one trillion dollar ceiling in terms of investment around uh, renewables and the transition to cleaner energy um and actually as a result of the um war in ukraine um there's a lot of negative media focus about how you know governments were reopening coal mines and things like that, as I just alluded to. But we also had the International Energy Agency revise their pre-war forecast upwards. So they predict, you know, what is going to be the amount of renewable energy capacity added? And it went up 30% um, than it had from their pre-war forecast. And I've seen other people argue that the transition to renewable energy might even come forward anything between five and 10 years as a result of the massive government reaction um, we're seeing to the war in Ukraine. So I think, you know, there's bad news, but I think there's good news in terms of engagement. There's good news in terms of an acceleration in action from a lot of companies um, and a lot of governments as well. And I think the other thing we've seen, I think it's kind of the biggest thing we see in the research is giving consumers a sort of reality check, if you like. So I think because of all those 
um, challenging things you've talked about. I think the people in our survey are almost thinking about these issues like a lot of our clients, a lot of businesses do. They're thinking about them in terms of resilience and resource shortages. And, you know, we're seeing people more concerned about climate change, more concerned about air quality and more concerned about shortages of, of things as well. So I've, mm. there were some dark moments uh, doing this report in terms of looking at the challenges ahead of us. But ultimately, I think I came out a bit more positive because I think people are more engaged. And that's, that's the big change we're seeing. Yeah, one of the key findings of the report is that water shortages are the fastest growing environmental concern among consumers. You know, what is it specifically about water shortages? Uh, you know, what's driving that shift? What, where, where are we seeing those concerns? Yeah, that growing focus on water shortage, I think it's part of that reality check I, I was talking about. I mean, what's happened is water shortages have become the world's third biggest environmental concern, overtaking um, plastic pollution which was previously the biggest concern and i think this is very telling because i think plastic pollution was up there because it's an emotive um, subject in terms of the damage it does to the environment or wildlife people can see it happening i think water shortages you know it's a scent as a concern is really reflecting you know people being hit by supply chain shortages um so it's really kind of it's the number one concern in brazil in mexico and also here in europe in, in spain in france and italy as well and it's because people can see this happening outside their windows um famously in spain there's a reservoir mm. in, in catalonia called the sao reservoir which um the church which got flooded when they created that reservoir has re-emerged and there's only six percent of the water left in there so they're closing it so it's happening for people directly and i think you know people are being driven by concerns about that and you know we're learning that you know future water demand is going to grow 55 percent towards 2050 according to the un etc so it's very front of mind and for me it's part of this activation process for consumers where issues around sustainability are less and less kind of premium nice to have kind of considerations and really things which are impacting on, on what's available to them and uh, impacting on their you know the money they have to spend as well I, I saw it in the report. I saw that image of that uh, cathedral emerging in, in Catalonia. I, I, Catalonia, I thought that was quite quite striking, quite poignant. And it, like, it, it does really resonate this idea of tangibility. Of course, here I'm in New York, so on the eastern part of the uh, you know of the United States, where you know, water shortages is less of an issue. But of course, in the in the western uh, half of the country, it's very much like you say, sort of outside the window. You know, measures being taken, taking play, you know, being instigated. Recently, you know, the state in the state of Arizona, they've started restricting home building around Phoenix, literally because they're trying to um, alleviate water shortage concerns. I mean, what are what are some of the measures that, that governments and brands are taking to to address water shortages? Well, I mean, here, speaking from the European angle, I mean, they just tend to sort of turn the taps off in terms of people watering their gardens and things like that. You can forget about that happening. I think in consumer-facing companies, as um, activists push this agenda um, further up the agenda, we are seeing, obviously, um, big drives in the fashion industry, for example. We're aware of the huge water footprint of the fashion industry, and brands like Levi's have been acting on that with their, with their waterless drive for several years now, being very transparent about their progress around that. I mean, on the one hand, 
we have radical things being talked about, um, ancient practices like fog harvesting, which is, you know, commonplace in parts of South America being introduced to different parts of the world. Then we have a company called Way Out International based from Sweden who's looking at um, using solar power to generate water out of thin air, if you like, um, using sort of shipping container sized instruments to do that. We've also got a lot of innovations from the Chinese government, for example, to create not just drought-resistant crops, but also crops which can cope with uh, rising sea levels as well. So it cuts both ways. But, yeah, we're seeing all kinds of uh, innovations, especially, I think, in the beauty industry and the household sector to try and reduce um, you know, water usage um, in products as well. So there's a lot of innovation happening. One of the most celebrated ones recently has been the partnership between P&G and NASA to try and sort of create sort of closed loop water and laundry systems for astronauts as well. So, yeah, it's certainly an area that's got a lot of momentum and it's an area that's going to need to have a lot of momentum going forward. Yeah. So, so what should brands actually be, you know, how should they think about it? Like, what should they be doing about it, this, this particular issue? I think they need to sort of think about uh, it's part of that growing process of brands talking about resources. And that's what consumers understanding uh, needs to be addressed. So I think previously it was about limited edition packaging launches and, and changes to that. I think consumers want to see metrics and information about how uh, water input has been reduced or how something needs to use less water and that connection between the cost of that resource at, at a personal level so a lot of brands are doing a good job um mm. certainly brands like barilla uh, the pasta company in italy of you know innovating to allow you to cook pasta with uh, turn the hob off after two minutes and just cook it in the pan so saving energy um, as a resource and making it very clear to the consumer what the benefit is for them and i think that's the challenge for water making you know showing consumers that there's financial benefits not just environmental environmental benefits uh, for them personally in reducing their usage as well so i think that's the challenge all right so i zooming out um you know you, you mentioned this to a certain extent when we were talking about, you know, summing up the last year. But, you know, last year, uh, U.S. President Joe Biden signed into law the Inflation Reduction Act and described it as the most significant investment ever in climate change. Obviously, a lot going on, a lot, lot of measures and incentives built into that. But what do, what do brands need to know about the impact of this and sort of any other government and initiatives? You know, how will they have an impact going forward? Where and when do you think we'll see the impact? Well, the Inflation Reduction Act is definitely, it's part of the good news I was alluding to, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But I think any sustainability theorist will tell you that um, we talk in terms of stakeholders. You know, it's not just about a company and their customers. It's not just about a government and their electorate. So we need more and more collaboration and partnerships as much um, as possible. Uh, in the research of the report, we ask consumers who they think is most responsible, whether that's governments themselves or, or companies, and it gets quite evenly split. So I think with the Inflation Reduction Act and a lot of the other government initiatives we're seeing, for me, it creates a real opportunity for um, brands uh, to sort of piggyback on that and, and, and connect the work they're doing, even at a product level, to a sense of wider momentum within your country or what your government's doing because the inflation reduction act you know like a lot of um like the eu's green deal or like china's five-year plan you'll get people criticizing it saying it's protectionist and it is protectionist um you know it is about america competing with other parts mm. of the world for investment and arguably um i think i would agree with the idea that it will make an electric vehicle more expensive if you're an american and you want to buy it because it's got to be made in america and that's the same thing for 
the European Union having targets to out heat pumps or solar panels which are manufactured in the UK in terms of their components. But you can't deny the volume of money, the job creation, uh, the sense of momentum and positivity these initiatives um, create. And I think I think that's part of the good news story I talked about at the start. So if I was a company, I'd somehow try and connect uh, my goals, the work I was doing, to being part of this broader goal. And I think for me it was quite funny when I saw um, – um, all the all the news coverage around the uh, spy slash weather observation mm. balloons we saw over um, United States airspace from uh, from China, and for me it sort of tickled me because it was um, it's almost like going back to the era of Jules Verne, and I was quite pleased to see that even the sort of Cold War reconnaissance technology just had a kind of low environmental impact. You know, looking at things like hot air balloons rather than jet powered aircraft, and for me that kind of symbolised the the kind of green arms race um, which is going on between those those two superpowers. So I think the Inflation Reduction Act and um, mm. the other versions in your Europe and China um, are ultimately good news in terms of the scale of what's being thrown at this. So what areas do you think, uh, you know, where, where do you think we'll see the most impact from some of this government intervention? Well, you'll see more financial incentives for um, consumers as a result of that. I think it also marries um, the environmental efforts to a degree of patriotism. You know, we've seen coal, for example, championed in the past as something which is great for local employment, which is not really true. It doesn't actually employ a lot of people. So I think there'll be a big drive around connecting patriotism with these efforts. Um, there'll be a sort of degree of national pride around electric vehicles or solar technology manufacturing those companies. And that can only be a good thing because we need to find different triggers and touch points to get people connect with these areas. So I think that's really important uh, in terms of, you know, again, the theme I talk mm. about a lot in the report is things aren't going to succeed alone just on their um you know, lessened environmental impact. We need to have other ways to sell things in. So whether it's a government policy or a, or a you know, a, a less, a more responsible soap product, we need to sell it in. So if we can sell it in on patriotism or job creation or community pride, then great. You know, I think you know, that's the kind of impetus we need. So I think that's what um, these initiatives are going to bring. Do you, so do you think that consumers are actually aligned with the goals of these initiatives? Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. I mean, we ask consumers about their political attitudes around a lot of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So one thing, for example, you know, conceptually, consumers are kind of uh, opposed to the idea of countries outsourcing a lot of their emissions by, you know, relying on trade uh, from other countries. So I think the idea of making manufacturing uh, more domestic based and you know territorial emissions accounting for the bulk of your emissions consumers are broadly supportive of that they think things which are created elsewhere should count towards um, a country's um, you know um, emissions total so they are they are supportive of that um, so that I think there are those kind of patriotic areas big proportions of consumers you know say they would like to work in a job which could help to um, address climate change so I think there are rallying points um, around that as well and obviously consumers around the world we ask them about whether they feel they're getting sufficient incentives from their government to transition to cleaner home energy or to transition to cleaner transport and as you would expect you know the majority say they aren't but uh, I think these initiatives can help can help address that going forward as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously, so much going on in this area, so many moving parts. You know, you obviously get into a lot of detail in the report, but, you know, what, what should brands be thinking about then going forward? I mean, how can they address some of these issues when there's so much in flux and so much change uh, on the horizon? 
One thing I'd say is, is to get real. Um, I talked about how consumers are having a reality check in terms of what their leading concerns are. And I think companies need to do the same thing. You know, we live in a world where people are increasingly educated by activists. So if you're a company and your biggest environmental footprint is energy, which I'm sure it is, that's what you need to talk about. You know, don't think you can get away with talking to consumers about some small scale plastic packaging reduction you're doing so i think brands need to get honest about where they need to reduce their emissions that's one thing um and they do need to reduce their emissions that's the second point because one thing that comes through very strongly in our survey is distrust of carbon offsetting uh from consumers you know policies which involve forestation or forest conservation programs on the other side of the world which are very difficult to track and prove have additional value consumers distrust that and that's at the heart of a lot of companies um, carbon neutrality assertions so they definitely need to uh, get real and, and start acting on reducing their emissions i think the other thing is about how they communicate things um, as i mentioned again i keep using the word activists and we're, we're finding in our research that consumers are listening to activists and are being educated by them and activists are often you know the people who bring to the attention of the authorities a greenwashing campaign uh, and that's coming through um, very very clearly so i think one phrase we need to see the death of is environmentally um, friendly um, you know products that claim to have some kind of environmental benefit that's just completely unrealistic so i think in marketing we need to see more lexicons about reduced impact and talking about less and also clear communications. Um, when we ask consumers what they want brands to do to make them buy into more responsible, less impactful products, the, the top response globally pretty much is the idea of a very clear, um, color-coded, number-ranked um, eco-score, if you will, um, similar to some of the things we're seeing in Europe. Um, so that comes through very clearly. So they, consumers want the convenience of seeing what the impact is. And obviously that has to be third party verified as well so i think it's a combination of companies being honest and getting real and acting where they need to trying to do it themselves uh rather than outsourcing it through offsetting mm -hmm. and um also communicating it in a very sort of transparent way and one which has context i mean one of my bugbears is brands talking about tons of co2 without context there was one brand i always complain about which talked about reducing their plastic by the equivalent of 17 tyrannosaurus rexes and it drives me crazy this kind of thing you know it's completely contextless if you're going to talk about tons of co2 you need to do it in terms of talking about is that, is that a big percentage of your emissions or not so that clarity of communications i think is key to get trust uh, from consumers and acting where you really need to as a brand as, yeah, it's interesting you talk about that sort of carbon offsetting and the sort of distrust of that. And of course, I know we've spoken in past uh, podcasts within about, you know, financial services companies looking to incorporate and, and retailers looking to incorporate things like carbon, uh, carbon tracking uh, within their apps. I know American Express just recently added that feature within its app. And, um, you know, it, it definitely seems like it's a, a, a step in the right direction, but obviously, you know, it has to have some real um, impact and it has to have some real actionability about it in order to, to make a difference. Carbon tracking, I think that that's all well and good, but I think one of the conclusions came out of a report is that needs to be connected to a personal benefit for the consumer as well. So say you're 
bank helps you to transition mm-hmm. to an electric vehicle, they need to show you not just the carbon reduction that's happened as a result of you transitioning to that, but the money you saved on transitioning to that compared to using a, an internal combustion engine vehicle or likewise mm-hmm. with uh, solar power or maybe likewise changing your diet for uh, something which is less impactful and more affordable as well. So I think that's the big theme that's coming out of the research is that consumers want to see the personal benefit to them uh, in terms of you know improved health mm. or better financial situation which comes from making less environmentally uh, impactful decisions things that are just less environmentally impactful aren't going to be enough we have to prove that personal um, benefit as well all right well yeah this has been a great conversation i mean we just scratched the surface i mean what are some of the other topics covered in the report and and how can listeners get access to it some of the more granular stuff we look at in the report is we do literally look at what is in people's grocery baskets um, every week, you know, the degree to which they're buying organics or non-organics or imported food and things like that. We look at how they power their homes in terms of energy and what kind of transport they use and indeed their aspiration levels to transition to uh, cleaner forms around that. And a lot of detailed research as well about people's understanding of uh, different packaging materials recyclability and i think the most important stuff in the report is really about what kind of marketing initiatives are going to resonate most of consumers going forward and of course we showcase some of the best in class innovations um, in products in marketing we're seeing around the world as well um, this is a report mintel is selling um, you know i think there'll be a link in the follow-up where you can get more details about what's in the report and you know full information about what's in there and it's something else i'm blogging and promoting extremely heavily on my uh, my linkedin uh, feed as well so follow you on linkedin please do thank you richard we always do three key takeaways i think three things that really resonated with me i mean i know you spoke in the report about this sort of tipping point you know, this idea of sustainability going from a nice to have for consumers to an issue issue as you were just saying just they're impacting their health and their wallets and i think that really resonates as obviously a, a sort of key change uh, that's emerging over the last couple of years i think obviously that leads into the second point is that responsible products need to have an roi um like we're talking like these tan the tangibility of some of these threats like the air quality and need to have tangible solutions and you were speaking there about the the personal benefits that brands need to to think about in their solutions and then my final point from my perspective i think just so much change you know you're speaking about all that intervention intervention from from governments and so from a brand perspective i it's obviously there are new opportunities threats emerging different incentive incentives on behavior uh that mean this is obviously a, a landscape very much um that's in flux all right so thank you richard uh, thank you everyone for listening uh, the conversation doesn't end here head over to mintel's linkedin and instagram and let us know what you think we'd love to hear your thoughts if you want to know more about mintel visit mintel.com and sign up to become a member of the free mintel spotlight community as richard said you can get a, a link to the report in our the podcast description you know make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcasts goodbye for now and we'll catch you next time for a new episode of little conversation mm-hmm.